0: Well, hello there. This is Roger Kimball. I'm the editor and publisher of The New Criterion. And I'm delighted to be back after our long period of estivation. It seems shorter and shorter every summer somehow. But we're back, and our September issue is just about hot off the press as I speak to you from the world headquarters. And I'm delighted to bring you a few previews of what we have in store for you. First off, we have a, an essay by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Yes, that's right, an unpublished piece that uh, we're very lucky to have, a posthumous piece. And that is followed by a brilliant piece by David Price Jones on Muriel Spark, a good friend of his. Then we have a, another brilliant piece on the painter Delacroix by our critic Dominic Green, who saw the show in Paris, And we have a, our fourth uh, feature is an essay about Jordan Peterson, who everyone is talking about these days. And I thought I might also give you a little preview of what's in our notes and comments. I will read those to you now. We have three notes this month. First is about Yale. You all remember Yale University. You remember about The poor fellows, Nicholas Christakis and his wife, who were booted out and so on. Well, the title of this is Yale Rights a Wrong, sort of. So, Yale University quietly bestowed a sterling professorship, its highest academic position, on the sociologist and medical doctor, Nicholas Christakis, this summer. Many readers will remember the Christakis Affair. It unfolded early in November 2015 when Christakis, then the master of Silliman College, a residential college at that super-rich bastion of privilege and self-satisfaction, had the temerity to defend his wife, Erica, from an angry mob of students, her tort suggesting in a public memo that college students be allowed to choose their own Halloween costumes. We know, we know, it sounds absurd, but put yourself in the place of those delicate Yale charges. There they were, subsisting in their distended bubble of wealth, coddled, protected, continually assured by word and deed that the operation of virtue depended upon their choices of food, clothing, language, and renewable energy. The dean of Yale College had justified caution in choosing a Halloween costume. The antennae of the sensitivity police bristled on high alert, a sombrero, or an Indian, that is to say a Native American headdress, could wreak havoc on the moral fabric of campus life, and here was the wife of a college administrator herself a lecturer at Yale, who dared to ask, after a few pages of moist, progressive hand-wringing, whether Halloween might not be an appropriate occasion for, a young person to be a little bit obnoxious, a little bit inappropriate, or provocative, or, yes, offensive. Break out the smelling salts an amateur video of the confrontation between Nicholas Christakis and that angry mob of students went viral. It is worth looking it up. You can find it on YouTube. Christakis is a model of desperate restraint. In soft, reasonable tones, he explains that an academic community depends upon goodwill and patience and respect for alternative points of view. The trembling mob was having none of that. They shouted and swore and berated Christakis, exploding in manufactured fury that was both alarming and contemptible. I apologize. I'm sorry, Christakis wailed at one point. Too late. Several things resulted from this obscene display. The Christakis' resigned from their position as heads of Silliman College. Erica left teaching at Yale altogether. Nicholas, a highly decorated academic, took a sabbatical. Then Yale bestowed its Nakan Ishi Prize on two of the student ringleaders, Alexandra Zinna Barlow and Abdul Razak Mohammed Zakaria. Potential employers take note of those two. For... You cannot make this up. This is what the award was for: quote, exemplary leadership in enhancing race and/or ethnic relations at Yale College. There you have it. There was no mention, by the way, of the Christakis affair in that award. Peter Salivay. The spineless president of Yale responded to related student demands made around midnight at his private residence by shoveling $50 million to various diversity initiatives. Yale dropped the title master because some illiterate students thought the word had racial rather than scholarly overtones. Salovey also convened, again, you cannot make this up, a committee to establish principles on renaming and a committee on art in public spaces to scrutinize the names of things at Yale and the university's publicly displayed art for signs of political incorrectitude. Calhoun College, named for the U.S. vice president and Yale alumnus, John Calhoun. It was changed because Calhoun not only owned slaves, but thought slavery was a good thing. And so did Samuel F.B. Morris, for whom another Yale college is named. But shh, don't tell anyone. Stained-glass windows depicting slaves working in the fields were vandalized. Others were hustled away for safekeeping, as were various sculptures. A bas-relief at the Yale Library, for example, which depicted a pilgrim carrying a musket. Nevertheless, time the great healer has buried the obloquy of those actions in a lethe of wealth and circumstance. To quote a famous riposte, what difference at this point does it make? Surmising, no doubt correctly, that the public appetite for outrage had moved on, Yale decided it was time to make amends to Nicholas Christakis and offer him the tasty sop of a coveted professorship. After all, deep down, Christakis was one of them, a paid-up member of the Progressive Brotherhood. He had been unexpectedly blindsided by an event that no one could have foreseen. Quietly, quietly then, he has been rehabilitated and given an extra pat on the head. He is deeply honored, of course, and eager to make himself useful to Yale's mission. It would be rude on such an occasion to inquire too closely into the exact nature of that mission. Now we move on to another academic frivolity. This one at Williams College. The new academic season, of course, is upon us. The toniest institutions offer the most fun. Not only are they preposterously expensive, for example, Williams College, tucked away in bucolic Williamstown, Massachusetts, carries a sticker price of $69,950 this year. Think of what you get for all that dough. The college's roster of new faculty for 2018 and 2019 indicates some of the delights that await the discriminating pupil. Parents will be pleased to learn that their delicately raised children can sign up for a class with Roxana Blancos Curiel, a Mellon postdoctoral fellow in Mexican literature and cultural production. To learn about, quote, feminist and queer theory and the, quote, contributions, the performance of female masculinity in our understanding of femininity and masculinity outside the heteronormative spectrum in Mexican social imaginary toward the construction of national identity, end quote. Delicious. Then there is Julia Brian Wilson, a Robert Sterling Clark visiting professor of art history, who, quote, researches contemporary art in the Americas through the lens of artistic labor, feminist and queer theory, our old friend, and critical race studies, end quote. Fans of Howard Dean, the former head of the Democratic National Committee and noted performance artist, will be pleased to learn that he will be at Williams as the Bennett Bosky Distinguished Visiting Professor of Leadership Studies. Leadership. Kevin Flaherty, a lecturer in astronomy, is interested in the formation of stars. But if that sounds dull, don't despair. He is also interested in making astronomy a more inclusive environment, and in bringing astronomy to others through outreach in the community. For her part, Prisca Gales, the Gaius Charles Boland Fellow in Africana Studies, focuses on the politicization of blackness in the context of collective action in African diaspora with a focus on Afro-Latin America. Further interests include transnational black feminist theory and social economy in the African diaspora. The current interests of Polavi Sen, an assistant professor of art, quote, include inner lives of birds and animals, South Asian costumes, domestic architecture, altars, deities, skate hyphen bro culture, style, pattern history, toxic masculinity, friendship, Plus love, lovers as collaborators, farming and the artist as farmer, workspaces, work tables, ecofeminism, love poems, the gates to Indian homes, walking and cooking deliberately. Completely devoted to material and craft, she works with all sustainable surfaces and tools. End quote. Or how about Ben Snyder, an assistant professor of sociology whose, quote, classes focus on making the turn from social critique to social action and often involve building bridges between classroom, student activism, and publics outside the academy. He is especially excited to work with students who want to engage in unabashedly utopian thinking about the future, end quote. And why not? When you're spending $70,000 a year for make-believe radicalism and sex-in-the-head nonsense, why deny yourself a dash of unabashed utopian thinking? We've quoted the economist Herb Stein in this space before. What cannot go on forever won't. Super-rich romper rooms like Williams and Yale cannot go on forever. Are there signs of disintegration, of things grinding finally to a halt? Not yet, not really. But there is a greater and greater impatience abroad outside the protected purlieus of these increasingly absurd institutions. Someday, that impatience will translate into the social disenfranchisement of this academic racket. The reckoning cannot come too soon. Finally, just a word or two about the great novelist V.S. Naipaul, who died last month. News that V.S. Naipaul had died came just as we were going to press in August. We still remember the surprise bordering on astonishment that greeted the announcement that Naipaul had won the Nobel Prize for Literature. It was October 2001, a scant month after Muslim fanatics commandeered commercial jetliners and steered them with their hundreds of passengers into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. And let's not forget the aborted attack that ended the flight of United 93 over a field in Pennsylvania. The body count of those despicable and cowardly acts of terrorism was nearly 3,000, roughly the tally of the sneak attack on Pearl Harbor. Perhaps the enormity of 9-11 had insinuated a moral hiatus into the Nobel Prize Committee's usual penchant for progressive cheerleaders and multicultural totems. Whatever the reason for the Swedish Academy's deviation from its standard politically correct operating procedure, there can be no doubt that in bestowing the Nobel Prize upon Vidya Naipaul, the Academy was honoring a man who stood fast and fierce against the multicultural pieties of the day. We will publish a memorial essay about Naipaul by his friend David Price Jones in an upcoming issue. For now, we wish simply to minute our sorrow at the great writer's passing and recall the moral energy that stood at the center of his worldview now naipaul was a complex man of human all too human foibles and failings some obituaries have dilated on those foibles and failings but in the long perspective afforded by history what is most memorable about naipaul was his staunch defense of the animating values that lifted western civilization out of the barbaric trough of tribal insularity that has marked so much of the third world Naipaul was unafraid to argue that case and did so repeatedly in his journalism and his novels. In nineteen ninety, for example, he delivered a now famous lecture for the Manhattan Institute in New York. Our Universal Civilization, as the essay was called, describes Naipaul's literary development as a journey from the periphery to the center, from his native Trinidad the periphery of universal civilization to London, its center. The autobiographical movement he traces is at the same time the long, sometimes difficult movement of Western civilization as a whole. It embodies, Naipaul wrote, a capacious idea of human fulfillment. Quote, it is an elastic idea. It fits all men. It implies a certain kind of society a certain kind of awakened spirit. I don't imagine my father's Hindu parents would have been able to understand the idea. So much is contained in it. The idea of the individual, responsibility, choice, the life of the intellect, the idea of vocation and perfectibility and achievement. Naipaul's explicit celebration of Western civilization won him much hostility from the left especially from the rancid swamp of the entitled academic left. But it also won him the gratitude of all who understand what was at stake in the battle for universal values at a time when the centrifugal forces of identity politics were shredding the integrity and spiritual self-confidence of our leading cultural institutions. With the passing of V.S. Naipaul, The world has lost a singular, insightful, and courageous voice of moral clarity. We are poorer for the loss. Requiescat in pace.